All right, you guys will remember if you were here a few weeks ago that we are uh, we are looking through the statements that we sent out a couple months ago. Now in the uh, the state of theology survey that was done and provided by uh, Ligonier Ministries, and many of you went through and took that survey, and we got the results, and my. Uh, my entire livelihood rested upon those results, and you guys did a pretty good job. So very thankful uh, for that and your, your theological acumen and your, uh, your answers to all of those. So we're, gonna, we're going through those, and by going through, we had one Sunday where we did that and didn't have the last two Sundays, so uh, this is our second week uh, of doing that. And the statement that we began to consider last time is God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. And we began by talking about the self-existence of God, the infinity of God, (coughs) and uh, the singularity of God, or the aseity of God is uh, the (coughs) theological uh, term that we uh, talked about in the self-existence. So, in other words, that God is in and of himself, or his himselfness, if you want to speak as a philosopher. Um, So we talked about that for a while and discovered a few different uh, texts. As we were working through that, we looked at Paul in the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17 as he was uh, talking to the Athenians and Uh, He was looking around and seeing their worship of all of the various idols. They didn't want to leave any out, so they even had one to the unknown God. And you remember the Apostle Paul was brilliant in drawing their attention to that one and saying, you worship the unknown God, and I am here to reveal to you who that is. And he proclaims the gospel. But in the midst of that, remember, (coughs) this is what he says. He reminds them, or he tells them, maybe some of them for the first time, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods from the boundaries of their dwelling place they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. It all comes from the hand of God. It's all His creation. It is all His work. It is all because God in and of Himself is all that He is and all that He needs. He is in need of nothing outside of Himself. And so all that is created is because God wanted to, because God desired to do so. And so really puts, uh, I think we started to talk about this a bit last time, it kind of puts to death that notion that we sometimes hear from Christians that Uh, that God created mankind because He wanted companionship or He wanted friends or something along those lines. Um, It is true that God um, 
loves us and has a personal relationship with us as His children, uh, far greater than anything we could even imagine or express. And so, I don't want to minimize the reality of God's care and concern and love for us as His children, but at the same time, none of it was because He was in need of us. God is not in need of us. There's nothing that we provide to Him that He is in need of. It's the very thing that Paul says here, uh, that he, He's not served by human hands as though He needed anything, because He's the one who provides life and breath and everything. And so none of it is out of need. All of it is out of His love, out of His desire, that all of creation would do what? What was the purpose, the ultimate purpose of Him creating so that all of creation would do what? Yeah, glorify Him. That it would be a reflection, a small reflection, albeit, but a reflection of what He is capable of and in so doing that it would glorify Him. Um, I don't know if we looked at this or not, so we'll We'll go back. We'll circle back. I don't know. <laughs> Psalm 50. Look at Psalm 50. <laughs> and someone read for us nice and loud. Psalm 50, verses 8 through 15. Don't be shy. Go ahead. Yes. Thank you. I love that in here he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. What's that? Yeah, (laughs) it is a mighty big if, right? Yeah, why? Because the world and the fullness are mine. All of the universe is mine. So why would I come to you and tell you that I'm hungry? What would be the point of doing that? Why would I, why would I uh, f- first and foremost, I think in a sense, we, we, we understand that God in His mercy is not burdening us in any way with anything beyond our scope or capability, but even prior to that, that there's nothing you can do for me because I am who I am, as Jesus said. And so, what is the point? What would be the reasoning behind such a thing? And so, God Himself is addressing His lack of need. He is void of all need from us. Yeah. As earthly parents, we, we do actually get hungry. Sure. But we don't always tell our infant children 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my son might uh, say, okay, uh, but he's not going to do anything about it, right? Or he, at best, go get a box off the shelf <laughs> and hand it to me if he can reach it. Um, right, that's, that's the same kind of idea, that it's, it's there. Uh, if he needs it, he has it, uh, but it backs up even more. He doesn't need it. He is not in any need of it. Um, and I won't, we won't read the text, it's very long, but Isaiah 40 really is a, a very lengthy text in which the prophet is addressing the self-existence of God at great length. This is that great uh, passage where uh, we read that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The greatness of God is displayed in His self-existence. He doesn't, he's not in need of burnt offerings. He's not in need of sacrifice. And yet, he calls for those things to be made. And so, who are those there to benefit? Well, they bring glory to God, but us glorifying God is not to his benefit as though he needs that. Once again, it is that we would reveal something that is already there, that we are revealing something that is uh, is true in this world because of who God is and what He has done and continues to do. You see, I, I've always um, appreciated the um, illustration that helps us to think about what it means to glorify a self-existent God that is not in need of anything. If you think of <coughs> the relationship, or uh, the difference, I guess, between a microscope and a telescope. Some of you have probably heard this, that a microscope takes something small and makes it look larger so that you can see all of the intricacies of that small thing. And if we, if we treat God as though we are looking at Him through a microscope, what we are assuming or what we are saying is that God is, is small, that God is uh, maybe intricate, but we need to look at who He is under this microscope to bring something small into greater focus. Versus a telescope, which we use to look at something big and uh, massive, that we could look beyond uh, our own existence here and see something out there that is, is taking something big and bringing it to greater focus, but still not being able to grasp the enormity, the immensity of what it is, and yet still getting a glimpse of it. That if I look at the moon through a, uh, with my naked eye, I can see something of the moon. I look through a telescope, I can see it even greater. But man, if I were there, if I were able to, to walk on the moon, if that ever really happened, we don't know. I'm kidding. <laughs> but that's a whole different experience, right? And there I get a better sense of how, how big it is, how immense it is. And, and even then, I, I can't really know the full size of it. And, and so everything's coming into greater focus the more I'm able to use that. Tele and so what the Word of God is doing and what the prophets are doing and what the apostles are doing is helping us to, to expand the scope 
uh, of our telescope, expand what we are able to see. And in so doing, we're, we're seeing more of what already exists. I don't look through this thing and all of a sudden the moon exists. It's already there. I'm just able to look at something that already exists and in so doing, see it more beautifully, more vividly, uh, more intensely than I can do on my own with the naked eye. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that we would come back to this never ending, never drying up well that we can continue to drink the water of life and he he never runs out. He never comes to a place where he says, I have no more to give. Why? Because it's all, it's all his. And he reveals that to us. And the more we have, the more, the more we take in of God through his word and through the various means that he provides, the more we realize how small we are, how big he is, how infinite he is, and how much he has to give. We'll never, for all eternity, and 20 million years of eternity will never even come close to plumbing the depths of what God is and what He has and what He provides. And so, who knows how long down the road when we get there, but we eventually get to that place in Romans chapter 11, where Paul is working through all of these wonderful truths about God in light of who we are, what He has done in the gospel of Christ, and he is laying all of this out, and he's giving this great uh, historical theological argument through Romans 1 through 11, and at the end of all of that, before he moves into uh, his application of all that he has laid out, he is just struck by the greatness of this self-existent God, and we have that great doxological statement, that great statement of worship that he makes at the end. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Right? He's, he's, he's left with nothing more than to worship God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Uh, I love... He, he quotes from the Old Testament where he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? There's no way to know the fullness of the mind of God. Uh, the Lord is merciful in that He doesn't lay it all on us all at once, that we would try to, to fathom everything. Even, even when you uh, first become a Christian, that you, you don't know a whole lot, uh, but the Lord has a way of allowing us to grow into our understanding. 
that we're not overwhelmed by these things. Because if, if you knew as a baby Christian all that you know now as you continue to grow in so many ways, uh, you, you wouldn't be able to necessarily handle all of that, especially some of the big questions of life that we need to, to work through, that God is merciful in, in allowing us to, to work through these things as we're patient. But we don't, we don't know the fullness of the mind of God or who has been His counselor, Paul asks. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Now, we all, in our own minds, in our own hearts, we, we try to give counsel to God. Uh, we want things a certain way, and often that is uh, revealed, but God has no counselors. He doesn't have a joint chiefs of staff who sit around and, and tell Him exactly how things should be, and He gets to decide whether or not He's going to listen to His cabinet members. There are no cabinet members. Who's given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? What are you going to give? And now you guys, my family always uh, mentions this about me. What, what do you give someone who, if they want something, they just go out and get it themselves already? You know, gifts uh, on birthdays and things are a little difficult in that way. Um, but what do you give God who owns everything? It's all His. There's nothing that's not His. He can't be repaid. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And that's a great summation of what happens to the heart when we grasp this self-existing God in all ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. That all it's 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 like yeah. And I think we need to think about that on our our own that we we are worried and that's what Jesus gets to. We're worried about tomorrow, but tomorrow yes has its troubles of its own unlike today's troubles. Uh, but we assume that we're going to get there and and things are going to run out. You know, if you have a big family and uh, you want to get in the shower first so the hot water doesn't run out. It's like, you know, it's like we have that mindset. I need, to, I need to draw off of tomorrow's mercy because it might run out. And, and the Bible reminds us time and time again, it doesn't, it doesn't run out. It's there. It's always there. You're always going to get your hot shower of mercy, if you will. Uh, the Lord is not pulling back. And so... As we think about God and His self-existence, <clears throat> we need to recognize He's not only independent in Himself, but He also causes everything to depend on Him, right? That it all holds together because of Him. And were that to stop for even a fraction of a second, all of creation the entire universe and any universe beyond our universe would cease to exist immediately. That God never rests. He holds it all together in perfection. And so this podium is what it is. Yes, God used man and, and his ability to build and create, to come up with this thing and to put it all together, but were God to stop holding all of the various atoms together that compose this, 
it would just cease to exist. It would no longer be. And that's the same with all of creation. Every blade of grass, every, every particle of dust, everything that makes up who and what you are as a human being. And so all of creation, the farthest reaches of space that are yet to be discovered, are dependent upon the Word of God holding all things as they are. <coughs> and so... No one would argue that a dependent God would have need outside of himself. To say otherwise is completely contrary to his dependence. In other words, if the, if the world created God, he would need the world, right? Because it would be his creator. It's like saying a child is in need of its mother because he came from his mother. But what's amazing about the God of the Bible, he is entirely self-existent and yet chose to create and enter into a previously non-existent world that He created to establish a covenant relationship between a people and Him. And so when God says to Moses, I am who I am, there was an assurance there, right? That God was not dependent upon anything. And so it set Him in clear contrast to the multiple gods of the Egyptian pantheon of gods and, and uh, even later the Greek pantheon of gods that were depending on their statues, they were depending on their images to do something, all of these idols that we see throughout the Scriptures that people were relying on. But God's people were assured that He was, that He is, that He always will be, and that is the song of heaven, right? That is the song of all of the hosts of heaven, all of the angels, all the, the seraphim, all of the people of God before the throne of God, the God who was and is and is to come and forever will be. So He was. He is sovereign. He is with them. They could depend on Him because He depended on no one. <coughs> now you remember that Jesus also identifies for himself the attribute of self-existence. Remember in John chapter 5. Now, in one sense, he is not dependent upon creation just like the Father is not dependent on creation. All of life is contained within him. And when we talk about God's life, we're usually uh, we're, we're using human language to describe uh, something that is not entirely accurate because we don't have the language to describe a being who does not have body parts or passions like we do, uh, but we need some way to understand that. And so that's how God communicates Himself to us, through language that is uh, at least consistent with something that we know of ourselves. But all of life is contained in even Jesus. Life somewhat implies the possibility of death. Life might also imply a beginning, and this is where the difficulty comes. It's more accurate to say that God is life, that God is the giver of life, but nevertheless, Jesus uses this language so we can comprehend this concept. God has always been and in His existence has no need outside of Himself. So, as we think about Jesus… We have to think about the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, as the one who has always and forever existed. 
as a member of the Trinity. But when we think about Jesus in His humanity, there was need, right? That He, he did have need in terms of His humanity, that He, like all of us, He was hungry. Uh, he obviously suffered and endured sickness and trial and all of the things that we endure in this world. There was nothing that we face that Jesus Himself did not have to face as a human being. And if we lessen that to any degree, we lessen the reality of His humanity, and in so doing, we minimize what He accomplished in fulfilling the law to perfection. We minimize uh, what He accomplished for us. And so we have to think about that reality, but the two natures of Christ, uh, as difficult as it is, and we get into that a little bit later, <coughs> but as we think of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we're thinking about God, the Godhead, if you will. And in so doing, these are the attributes that we, uh, that we discuss, that God as Father, Son, and Spirit, as the members of the Trinity, is self-existent. It would uh, it's an entirely unique thing. There's nothing else that we can talk about in this way. There's no one else we can talk about in this way. And so it's not just that God does not need the creation for anything. God could not need creation for anything, or else He would never exist in the first place, right? If God was in need of something for His existence, He would never exist. He was never created. And so we have this vast difference between the creation and the Creator. So, all of that to bring us to this place where we can start to think about the infinity of God. That God is infinite in being and perfection. You remember the question that we were asked to consider. God is a perfect being and cannot make a mistake. Uh, thankfully, everyone got that question right. You all strongly agreed with that answer. I was so happy to see that on the survey. Yes, that God is infinite in being and perfection. He's free from any and all limitations because God is not and cannot be limited. There's nothing that will, will keep Him from doing what He wants to do in the way that He wants to do it. And so God is one of the omnis. He is omnipresent. What does that mean? Yeah, He is everywhere at all times. There is nowhere, and I'm not just talking about earth, but in all of creation all of the universe and whatever else He has out there, uh, that God is present at all times. There are no limitations on God. And so all of creation, what we see, what we don't see, what we know, what we don't know, all are in the real presence and essence of God. And as you, you think about that, that's a, that's a wonderful reality, and it should, in, in some sense, uh, it should comfort us in our, in our need of God, and in some ways, it should, uh, it should awaken our conscience a bit more, that no matter what we do, God is there. So, even in those secret times and even in those uh, hidden moments, 
hidden from the eyes of others and even in attempts to bury things in our own hearts, that God is there. God is present. God knows. Nothing can be hidden from His eyes. And so there are no limitations that can be placed on Him, and yet the Bible rejects this idea that God is everything. Right? God is everywhere, but God is not everything. That is, a, that is an ancient idea called pantheism, that, that you are God, I am God, the trees are God, all of these sorts of things. The Bible rejects that notion and makes a very clear distinction between the creature and the Creator. So, what, what is, uh, we saw this earlier in the book of Romans, that what is man's tendency with regard to creation as it relates to the Creator? What is our natural tendency to do with the creation? Yeah, right, to worship the creation rather than the Creator. But what is the creation designed to do? Why did God create all the things that He did in the way that He did? Good. That it would lift our eyes, right? That, and in fact, God has given us not only what we need are in terms of sustenance to be able to survive, but He gave it to us in a way that is, is good and beautiful and delightful. That even uh, the taste of our food would be varied and it, it, and it would be enjoyable in all kinds of different ways, that the things that we see with our eyes would be colorful and beautiful, that we would, we would see things and be in awe of their beauty as we hear music, that all of the various ways that it comes to us would be an amazing thing that we can delight in, and on and on and on. It's not that He just gives us what we need, but He gives it to us in abundance and in beauty so that we can hear and see and taste and smell and enjoy all of these things so that our, our gaze would be lifted to say, thank God. And not only do I get to live in this world to His glory, I get to do that and enjoy all of this, all that He has created that I would continue to glorify Him. Did I see a hand over here somewhere? No? What's that? I saw that hand. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I I find myself, you know, I do want to appreciate trees and I do want to appreciate food and I do want to appreciate beautiful things in life. But I also always have to be aware that it was when she saw that the tree was delightful to the eyes, it was to make all my beautiful fruits gay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Our senses, um, again, like anything else, a gift that God has given us, uh, like all other gifts that we tend to find every way possible to misuse uh, to our own fleshly ends, right? That we would, we would seek to rely upon these things to bring us to, um, to, to think of ourselves in a godlike way. 
every, everything that God has given to us is so, we're so prone to turn to an idol of the heart. And so instead of enjoying them to the glory of God, we enjoy them beyond what they were intended to be uh, for our own fleshly delight. Um, certainly, always, always the tendency of mankind, and you, I, I love how you, how you said that, that it is through our senses even that mankind fell. And so as, as good and right and delightful as they are, as useful as they are to bring us to understand and to delight in and to glorify God, they also function in a way that should we not understand them in their proper place. And that's Paul's point in Romans, right? That we have this heart tendency in our fallenness to worship the creature rather than the creator because we think that's enough. And that's, and that's the hang-up, right? We get a little bit, and it's so good that we just think this is it. This is the life. I'm living uh, and yet the Lord offers so much more in giving to us Himself. Yeah. It gets back to the point we're talking about the infinity of God that grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will last forever. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, all of creation will pass away, but God in His word will last forever. Beautiful. Well, <clears throat> lastly, as we, as we consider God in His infinite being in perfection. We think of God existing as the most perfect being. And if we, we don't come to that conclusion, if we don't understand that God is the most perfect being, then we would have to conclude what? If God's not the most perfect being, then what else must exist? Yeah, something greater than God, right? And so, if we, if we do away with that understanding that God in His perfection and God in His self-existence and God in His, in His infinite nature is not ultimate, then someone or something else must exist over and above Him. And so He would have boundaries that He would have to stay within, and that would be a rejection of everything that we know about God and how He has revealed Himself to us. Uh, so there is no possibility for anything or anyone to be more ultimate than God. And so God is perfect in every way possible, right? God is the one who defines perfection. How do we know what is good or bad or right or wrong? How do we know what is to delight in and what is to reject? How do we know what is good or evil? All of this is defined by God. And in that, God will not deny His own perfection and thus gives Himself to us that we might have the greatest of all that could be offered, which is Him. And God is the only one, so don't, don't go thinking yourself God's gift to the world. He is His own gift to the world, that He has given Himself to us that we might delight in the greatest and the most ultimate of all beings, of all things, of all that has ever existed. Tris. Mm-hmm. Was that in order to know anything for certain, you 
Yeah. Exactly. Yes. We have access. And that is, uh, that's where uh, worship is brought out, where Paul came, as we read in Romans 11, to this place where when we recognize this reality that we have access to the most perfect, to the creator and sustainer of all things, infinite in his perfection, for the Christian, what else can that possibly do than inspire our worship to where we are further brought to see ourselves smaller and smaller, that we would see him greater and greater? Go ahead. Just reminded of the Ten Commandments, then. It's a, it's a picture of the things that we fail to do and shows us our sin, which ultimately points us to God. But when God saves us and redeems us, it shows us a bigger picture of God's character in that it's not just a bunch of commandments and things to not do, but it's like, you know, thou shalt not lie, but that God loves truth because he is truth. Yeah. Good. Yes, that's a beautiful um, reality that when we begin to understand these things about God's very nature and His, his makeup, if you will, His attributes, His character, all of this, all of these things become beautiful to us now. Where the law was once a terror to us because we could not even come close to upholding it, now it's a delight, right? Because we, in that we see more of who God is and what He is and why He does what He does in the way that He does it. And so God defines perfection by His very being. God is perfect. God defines perfection by His very existence. And so to know what perfection is, we must look to God who is infinite in being and perfection. Well, we're out of time for Sunday school today. So let me pray, and uh, we will prepare ourselves for worship.